show brain health unchaining your pain and i am joined by the wonderful dr katina rodario who is a clinical psychiatrist at the amen clinics in the new office of miami florida welcome to the show katina hola hola como you thank you for having me oh you are most welcome it's just such a pleasure to talk to um one of the amazing psychiatrists that i uh, liaise with as you know um, with the Amen Clinics and in partnership with the Amen Clinics and it's just fantastic to talk to yourself and the new uh, clinic in in Miami so I'm really excited to see where this conversation goes today in the context of brain health because it's such a important topic um, in today's world given the the recent incidents in the States um, the pandemic uh, and the uncertainty that we have in terms of the war in, that's going on in Europe as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I would love to know, before we dive into your story, what is it that you are passionate about in life right now? Yeah, for me, like I'm a child psychiatrist. So for me, uh, my passion is keeping that magic in childhood, um, like keeping that childhood alive. So that's what makes me happy of what I do. Yeah. I see adults too, but like we can keep the childhood alive in adults too. I, I, do you know, I think it's so important. It was something that my dad was really keen on doing, which is why I wrote his stories Peter Pix, about Peter Pixie and Paula Pixie is bringing that magic to children. And it's so easy to have it pushed out of them at, an, at a young age through whatever circumstances may befall them. And I think it's something that is just fundamental to mm -hmm. ignite children's imagination in a really positive and supportive way and allow children to be children for as long for as long as possible because our childhood is so short, isn't it? Exactly. And <laughs> I I feel like I had the best childhood ever. So I had a, like a strong base. Like even when everything else like might go wrong like I still have that base that helped me to keep up. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and I think having that really strong foundation as a child is really fundamental to being successful in life. And it's not something that every child, unfortunately, gets. And I know we're going to dive into that. But I'd love for you to describe before we do that, the picture behind you, because I know we're talking about this before mm -hmm. the show. And for those that aren't... Uh, obviously not watching but listening could you describe yes. it please? so like that's a giraffe i i love giraffes but they are like the symbol of psychoanalysis in children so i feel like it's not only the giraffe it's that it's really playful and it has like the eyelashes it's like it describes me <laughs> yeah and and you know i love the fact it's got pink glasses on and he's blowing yeah. a, a bubble out of his mouth it's mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. pink which I can imagine if you're talking to children over over Zoom or whatever, it must be yeah. quite entertaining for them to go, what's that in the background? I know, you have to keep it alive, like, however you can. Yes, and that's, that's what I miss the most about um, seeing them in person, like being able yeah. to, like, like really like engage a little bit more, okay? Yeah, and do you know, I think that's such an important point for kids, because I know when just before lockdown, my in fact it was actually during lockdown, my my daughter Lily, she was suspected of having a a heart murmur, and uh, she was taken to see a pediatrician called mm -hmm. Dr Kelly, and we went and saw him physically, and she couldn't stop talking about Dr Kelly because he became her like a superhero, mm -hmm. um, and it was easy to have a really easy to have a conversation with her, even though she's only eighteen months old. Because we talked about a heart, which mm -hmm. is an organ. It was never talked about her as a person being 40, but looking, you know, making sure a heart was okay. Um, and then and then imaging a heart mm -hmm. and checking that everything was working, looking at the heart's function. And she left there just honestly just talking about Dr. Kelly until the 
till the cows came home or the or the giraffes in your case <laughs> and i think that's something that's so fundamental isn't it in terms of bringing brain health to life in children mm -hmm. is because it's easy super easy to talk to a child about their brain because you can point to where it is and you can explain it whereas it's really difficult i can't have a conversation with my daughter about mental health because it's just an ethereal thing that they can't grasp now that you mentioned that um they really listen like i I always show my, I have a 13 year old, so uh -huh. I always show him the scans and everything I'm doing. So like one time he went to his classroom and he was saying like, well, if you do pot and you do this, you're going to have your brain full of holes. And people were looking at him like, what are you talking about? And then he was, he started explaining what I did. Um, and they really listened. So like having this kind of uh, of like concrete imaging helps a lot too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such an important piece because it's easy to point a finger, isn't it? When we talk, and I really love to get into this conversation in the context of children, because obviously we know that children's mental health is on the rise significantly. Mm -hmm. There's been a huge shift since the pandemic. And I think it's just the start of a wave of, of chronic mental health struggles mm -hmm. and globally, never, never mind in the US and the U, in the UK. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I always find is difficult is when just the language we use when we talk about mental health is we talk about ourselves in the context of I have a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we talk about our brain health, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. a third, it's a third person or it's a third object. So you're never talking about you. You're talking about the organ in the same way as I said, you know, mentioned about the heart. So it's not about you being faulty. It's about your brain being in trouble in the same way as a car engine mm -hmm. can be in trouble. It doesn't mean the car's broken. Exactly. It just need, means the engine needs servicing mm -hmm. um, and bringing it to life for children in a way that isn't shaming and blaming, but yeah. getting them to really, truly understand that their brain needs support. Yeah, and it really removes a lot of the guilt that they feel whenever they behave, they misbehave. Like it gives them like that hope to really want to work to improve their brain health. So I feel it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And um, I'd love to know in the context of your journey, what is optimal brain health for you personally? How would you uh, describe it? more like having a balance it's mm -hmm. it's and it's the same way that i explain the scans that i explain the activity like if we get if we get a balance like mm -hmm. we're gonna have like a healthy brain so mm -hmm. like including nutrition activity um like social engagement that connectivity keeping that social connection all that is really important Mm. And I love the, the fact that you use that word balance mm -hmm. because, you know, we often talk about being either the right side or the wrong side of normal, mm -hmm. but there is no normal in the context of, of brain health, really, mm -hmm. because we all have a unique brain and it's about bringing it into balance for you personally. Mm -hmm. And it could be different for everybody and making yeah. sure that that balance is, is optimal for, for that particular individual exactly i get that question asked like a lot of the times it's like if my like is my brain like so bad i'm like let's i'm gonna compare your brain to yourself like more like we're gonna see your journey so mm -hmm. this is our startup point and then we are gonna go from from here but that is like that is something that always comes up like mm. how do i compare mm. myself with others and mm -hmm. mm. And I think um, I think it's so easy, isn't it? Because, you know, if we think of normal in the context of people's size, if we take the United States as the status, 75%, I think, is the current statistics of people in the States are obese. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's not optimal. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's about finding what's optimal and finding that balance for you so that your brain is working 
at the best it can be. So I'd I'd love to explore your story because let me just introduce you because I haven't introduced you yet. So for those that don't know Katina, she's a child psych an adolescent psychiatrist and also an adult psychiatrist based at the Amen Clinics in the new clinic in Miami in Florida. She sees children, teens and adults and treats a wide range of mental health diagnoses. And um, she's completely bilingual in Spanish and English and she works with patients who speak either language. Um, and she is also, she's published many research articles, including adolescent mental health in Latino communities and the impact of internet addiction, which I'd love to explore on this, uh, on this show, uh, and the use of psychiatric services in this population, um, as well as the beneficial inference clowning has on mental health in children, and of and of note to that, that you are a professional clown. Yes, I am. Which I'm... I totally love. I yeah. think that's amazing. I started in high school and then I took classes. So I, ha I had a graduation and everything about like, yes. Did yes. you? Mm -hmm. what, what inspired you to do that? I'm so curious. I think it's a fantastic thing. My dad was massively into amateur dramatics. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you know, if he if he had a clown, he didn't need to wear clown <laughs> Yeah. So yes, my son also like he doesn't need to wear a clown suit to be a clown, but um, like he he might inherited that from me. But I'm I'm always like I really like to incorporate like anything that is artistic. Um, and since high school, I was always like the clown in activities. And then, like, even in med school, I was always a clown. And, like, you know, I was never the med student. I was, oh, no, like, we're going to do an activity. It's a community service. Oh, yes, I am the clown. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's such, a, such an important thing for people to do because mm -hmm. it can bring so much joy into yeah. people's lives in ways that they maybe never expected it. And often that's the, like, the poignant... Uh, memories that you can have in your life is I, I know no is meeting clowns that are, are not scary but really funny <laughs> you know what you know what I have like some really funny stories I used to work at a department store as a clown I just do the balloons there and I was on a psychiatrist back then but <laughs> people came to me and they told me they their stories and they confide on me I was like okay so even even like like being like that, they were able to really like engage and trust me. So yes. yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that's really key, isn't it? Because you know, we it's about creating that safe space for people just to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're a clown, you just totally you, you, there's no kind of reservations. Exactly. <laughs> yes, you you get to be you. Mm -hmm. exactly and mm -hmm. and you can be you in whatever way you choose to be and you can be not you mm -hmm. <laughs> just be completely completely different mm -hmm. um to how you would normally you know show up in in your community or in, in your workplace and mm -hmm. and it's just encompassing all of that isn't it yes yes <laughs> so i'd love to i'd love to know your story that inspired you to become a psychiatrist if you could take me on your journey, if that's okay. Well, I've, I've always wanted to be a um, more like a pediatrician, like more like something related to children, like since I, I can't remember. So once I started doing my rotations, I fell in love with psychiatry. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. So mm -hmm. it was, I feel like I was like, four like when I wow. really recall like going to my pediatrician's office and him like and that that really makes a difference like him being able to explain to me oh like I'm gonna listen to your heart and all those things and like yeah. it stays with you and I told him like I want to I, I want to be just like you so those yeah. role models are really important yeah, my mum was actually a nurse and her she she wanted to become a nurse based on her hospital experience. I think it was caring for a grandmother mm -hmm. and she was she was helped in the ward by a nurse 
and that mm-hmm. nurse became a role model and so she became a nurse herself um, and I know for me personally although I'm not a medical doctor because I didn't think I had the intelligence to become one um, mm-hmm. I was really inspired throughout my um, you know growing up by the medical profession I always wanted to be connected to it in some way um, to support people and getting the best out of themselves and it's finding that really important role model isn't it yeah. Um, and often that can come so early on in life. I think the earliest memory I have of the hospital was when I broke my arm jumping off a settee when I was about two years old, thinking oh. I was bat- Batman um, <laughs> and ended up walking. I can remember to this day, you know, very clearly walking down a big, long corridor with my arm in a in a mm-hmm. sling or something like that. But I certainly remember the corridor and mm-hmm. and going to the doctor's office to get assessed. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's really poignant. So I'd love to know, um, obviously, you chose to do psychiatry and, and childhood psychiatry. What What is it that you notice uh, most in your practice in terms of supporting um, children or ad- adolescents? Well, the, the part of the trauma, like, like having that emotional trauma, mm-hmm. like it has been there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm working at Amen Clinics, like I'm able to really understand what's going on in terms yeah. of the activity. So I'm new at the Amen Clinics. I have like I've been here for a year, so mm-hmm. I, I still consider myself new here. Um, but it's been really, really amazing just because I've been able to have like a different view mm-hmm. of what I used to treat. And now, like, I'm really treating, like, in a different, in a different way. I'd love to know how that shifted, because I know it's, you know, the Amen Clinic methodology is quite different to what traditional psychiatry tends Mm -hmm. to do. And I know Dr. Amen talks about, you know, often it's the traditional route is you, you, you make your analysis based on symptoms and symptom clusters uh, and you treat the symptom and not necessarily understand what lies behind the root cause. But ov- obviously, brain imaging using SPECT mm-hmm. um, can give you a much broader and more insightful picture because you're actually mm-hmm. looking at the brain, not just guessing yeah. what's wrong with it and understand how the brain's functioning. What, what's What's been the huge shift for you? I feel that even with just one visit, I'm really able to help my patient. It's, wow. it's so amazing. Like I call it like, this is my Disney world in psychiatry, just because it's so exciting that, again, I'm able to give them the recommendations that they really need. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm going to try this and let's see if it works. It's, it's, it's so different. Like it's, it's completely, it's a, a completely approach, completely different approach from what I used to do before. And mm-hmm. the same in the time that we spend with the patients, like I do my evaluation and I spend two hours with them, mm-hmm. like versus what I used to do in the real outpatient practice that like you just have 30 minutes or so with the patients. So it's it's a different approach. And so I feel like the main difference is that I'm able to help them in just one visit. Wow, that's amazing. Because if you consider how long it can sometimes take people on their journey of recovery yes. and brain health optimization, whatever that looks like for them, mm-hmm. you know, cutting down the number of interventions. And I, I think it's about four or five medical interventions that have not worked or four or five different visits that people have undertaken before they actually get to the Amen clinics to get themselves um, treated appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, especially for kids, Mm -hmm. because it can be so traumatic. Mm -hmm. And like my children, like the, the kids are the best patients ever. Um, like they're even like easier to work with than adults just because like if you really engage them in the treatment they're gonna follow those instructions to the t so like they're that's really really positive Mm -hmm. yeah and i think they also don't come with hopefully so many 
hang-ups obviously depending on the childhood experience that they have that tells them that they can't you know children tend to go into uh, medical help in the fact that I can get better mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because they because they don't have these hang-ups that, that to say prior that experiences mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> yes so I see I see results in one month two months and in patients that like again like that had a lot of trauma adoptive patients mm-hmm. um that like we really don't know what happened prior to the adoption sure and that change that we see in them it's amazing mm. and mm-hmm. do you know i think i'd love to discuss the the impact of childhood trauma because it's often something that i see in my clients and i know i, I do get referrals through the clinic is to help them really unchain their pain um using the the techniques that that I that I use, which is havening, combined mm. with some of some of the um, techniques that supplied through the Amen clinics. Um, but often, I think for children that have trauma, they don't they can't verbalize it exactly mm-hmm. because they don't have the they don't have the voice mm-hmm. at the age the trauma occurred to tell you about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it gets encoded differently. And what I what I've noticed, and I'd love to you, to get your view on this, is sometimes CBT or cognitive behavioural therapy doesn't quite do it for everybody, especially if it's a childhood trauma, because it's it they can't cognitively unchain their pain because mm-hmm. they don't have the 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 words to be able to express themselves. And to and articulate what's truly truly happened, especially if it's really really young, mm-hmm. and right down to birth trauma as well. Yeah, and and for example, when we see the scans, we have some like emotional trauma patterns. Mm-hmm. That helps me to ask better questions. Sometimes, like that kind of history, it's not even there. And when I start asking, is that they start like really exploring all the things that have happened that might be related to that kind of emotional trauma pattern. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like that's really important. Mm-hmm. And, and do you feel that, um, so what I sometimes find is people um, downplay the impact that something has had in their childhood, that something's yeah. happened in their child that they downplay it and mm-hmm. don't think it's important because mm-hmm. they do, uh, they compare themselves to others, mm-hmm. and, then, mm-hmm. and so they say, "Well, my trauma isn't as bad as," <laughs> yeah, but it's still trauma. Even even if it was bullying, um, like sometimes they just take it like, "Well, like I did have bullying," but when you go to the scans, you see that that kind of bullying had a lot of impact. Yeah. 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 And I, th- I think it's that's a really important point. You know, so many people who've been guests on my show and Rex Miller, who who's who is a client, he took his children to see um, the Amen clinics to untangle the 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 problems, the struggles that they had is there was a lot of bullying trauma that was encoded in their mind um, and actually was being misdiagnosed or just just missed, mm-hmm. <laughs> never mind diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, because nobody actually looked at their brains exactly mm-hmm. to understand. And yeah. um, uh, could you explain to people who are not unfamiliar with SPECT what what it is, which single photon emission computer tomography, but what it is that you typically see in children who have experienced uh, a traumatic event? What what types of changes you notice in the brain that show up on a SPECT scan? Okay. So what we usually see in the specs is like we deal with function. So it's mostly activity and blood flow. Um, so the things that we see in terms of the scans, for example, maybe um, we can see like a ring of fire just because mm-hmm. like that brain, it's so like active in terms of the emotional brain. But mm-hmm. we also have what we call a diamond pattern. 
Mm-hmm. And that's when we have certain areas that are lit up at once. And that's the one that is mostly related to emotional trauma. So we see activity in the cingulate. And that's mostly related to kids that get stuck on things that are inflexible, mm-hmm. that really worry a lot. And we see activity in the basal ganglia. And that's when they are um, like really anxious. Okay, And we also have activity in the limbic system. That's related mostly to depression, poor motivation, mm-hmm. so symptoms like that. And when we have activity in all those areas that are laid up at once, that's what we call the diamond pattern. And that's mm-hmm. related to emotional trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a powerful tool, isn't it? Because <clears throat> people with PTSD often have a diamond pattern or post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. because all of their uh, the trauma that they experience at the time Um, which starts off being encoded through the amygdala, Mm -hmm. lights up or activates all of those other regions, Mm -hmm. depending on the breadth of trauma that they experience, whether that's in a singular event, which Mm -hmm. it could be, or in a series of events. That accumulates over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but sometimes they don't even have the symptoms of PTSD, like all the symptoms, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's when we like we make a difference just because he doesn't have the symptoms of to meet the criteria for PTSD. But when we see the scans, like we meet the criteria for emotional trauma. So we need to treat that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really key, isn't it? Because, it, you know, the fact that sim- diagnosis on symptoms doesn't necessarily address the root cause no. of mm-hmm. the problem is so key, especially for especially when you I mean it's for everybody but when when children are evolving their brains don't fully mature do they until mm-hmm. they're 25 as females or 28 as males so mm-hmm. there's the chance to rewire their brains because they're much more malleable than they are when when we grow up as adults exactly and and if you teach them how to improve that activity like they are really going to do it. So for example, I tell them, well, there's an area in your brain that it's a little bit decreasing activity. And like when I talk about the cerebellum and I told them, if you play ping pong, that area is going to lit up. And they say, really? So just trying to engage in that way, like they're going to be empowered in terms of the yeah. treatment. And I and I love that because, you know, often we compete against others but the power of brain imaging is you end up competing with yourself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a re, you know, once people see the brain, especially as children, and you show them what um, balanced looks like, or what if they do these uh, 10 things or five things, whatever it happens to be, how their mm-hmm. brain can improve then they've mm-hmm. got that then and they're motivated then they've got that opportunity to compete against themselves and, exactly. and get the best out of themselves which is wonderful yeah and and you should see their faces when they see their scans like they really get like excited about the treatment because Aww. they are able to see because that picture paints a thousand words especially mm-hmm. when for children mm-hmm so important and uh you know if i think back to my daughter i mean she's only three we're always talking about her brain what's good for a brain and bad for a brain and how how she can manage her you know focusing on managing her emotions Mm -hmm. but in the context of helping bring her brain back under control Mm -hmm. um and how could she do that um because obviously kids who are young uh their emotions are very uh fiery Uh depending on depending on their age as they develop and helping helping them learn how to how to manage it is so important what do you think is missing in the context of um education because i i i like to use this a framework called reach um which is reframing the conversation from mental health to brain health mm-hmm. because it takes away the shame Exactly. And the stigma, and you talk about the organ rather than the um, rather than the person. Mm-hmm. And the second one, E, is is education. What do you think is is missing for children at the moment that maybe we could do more of as as a society or as as, as a nation to help people help children 
and adolescents um, take charge of their brain health in a more constructive way? Yeah, I feel like um, in terms of like, of course, nutrition plays a role. Yeah, it's, it's a really important role. But the part of like all those contact sports and brain trauma, mm. like we as a society, we promote those sports. Okay. And for us, it's like, oh, like he's the best in football. He's the best here. And sometimes it's really hard. Like I'm going to give you my personal example. Um, my son, he wanted to do boxing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and I've seen all the scans of the boxers and, and I told him, well, like you can practice, but you're not going to compete. Okay. And mm -hmm. this is what we can get if we have like this exposure to continuous trauma. Okay. Even if you don't have a concussion, even if you don't like have any structural changes. Okay. So I feel like, again, sports are, are really important in terms of like keeping that activity, but we have to like show them what can happen with certain sports. Um, I feel like we don't do that. No, mm -hmm. I totally agree. And there's a big court case here in the UK um, mm -hmm. for rugby players, actually, in the rugby union, who, mm -hmm. and I know you've, the research was done by the Amen Clinics in the States with the NFL study yeah. on the impact of head trauma or mm -hmm. non-concussive blows mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, can have on brain health. And, and I like to call it, so we often talk about head trauma, which I just mentioned, but I like to think of it as brain trauma be, mm -hmm. because it is your brain that's traumatized. Like you would punch your, if you punch your arm, mm -hmm. um, you get a bruise. And it's mm -hmm. exactly the same um, when your brain rattles around inside your head. And I know that rugby players are not, were not aware of the risks in particular, you know, early cognitive decline, Alzheimer's and so on, exactly. that the professional sport would, would that, that would result from them playing professional rugby or indeed any, any rugby mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. at whatever age. And I think, you know, here in the UK, we, for reasons that I don't think parents truly appreciate, they're promoting exactly contact mm -hmm. sports that will damage our children's future. And, and football is another classic or soccer from a, from a stateside perspective it is even more um, risky for, for women because our heads, uh, our brains are more um, susceptible to damage and it might be because we have more neural networks um, mm -hmm. and less neurons than men. I don't, I don't know the true, the true answer behind that. But, but we're, we're disadvantaging our children um, by giving them contact sports that's really going to do them harm. And I'm, I am a victim of this myself. I know. I, know. I went to the Amen clinics to get my brain scan because I noticed cognitive decline and I struggle with my words sometimes. Um, and that was a consequence of uh, multiple layers of um, non-concussive blows to my head from skiing, falling off bikes, playing possibly, probably playing football when I was a kid um, mm -hmm. or soccer. Mm -hmm. um, and it all, it all stacks. It it doesn't, it's it not just yeah. the one and done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it yeah. layers, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, again, like you said, it accumulates and it becomes worse and worse. And if we do and we start doing something, for example, I tell them, well, we can start doing this to improve the activity here. But if we keep doing those things that we already like we're doing, then like it's going to counteract what we're trying to fix. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I feel like I'm more aware of like brain, like trauma in terms of like contact sports now that I was before. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, do you know, I had absolutely no idea until I went to the Amen clinics mm -hmm. uh, myself, um, how damaging contact sports is um, yeah. for, for people in, mm -hmm. in the context of their brain health and their uh, and brain development and, and the long-term impact, you know, in, there's no cure for Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. um, but it's a, a huge risk factor. Exactly.
So prevention, prevention. Prevention, <laughs> prevention. Um, and um, I'd love to dive into uh, your one of your specialties that we mentioned, which is autism. Um, and I know you talked about the ring of fire. Could you explain what the ring of fire actually means in the context of brain health? Because I, I believe that shows up in autistic children. Is that correct? Yeah, I can show that. And they can also have decreased activity in the cerebellum that it's mm -hmm. re like related to that coordination. Mm -hmm. um, like in, like I'm, I'm from Puerto Rico, so I'm an island girl. And <laughs> we, we have, um, there are like some kind of like, treatment with surfing so it's more like a surf based therapy and that the first time I was talking to Dr. Amen I didn't relate that just because I was starting and he was just interviewing me and he said well that's really interesting that you talk about the coordination and about the vestibular system and all that we do with the surf therapy mm -hmm. and we have seen in patients with autism that there is decreased activity in the cerebellum Okay, mm. so that's when we promote like ping pong, tennis, um, like martial arts. Like, again, all racket sports are the best sports for the brain. Okay, so again, having that connection, like it really clicked because whenever we do the surf therapy with those children, the improvement in terms, not only in terms of their coordination, also in terms of their social engagement they improve a lot in terms of language. So so we've seen a lot of improvement with activities like that. And mm -hmm. when I translate that to what we do in the Amen clinics, it correlates with what I see in the scans, that there's like that decreased activity in the cerebellum. The cerebellum can also be affected by ADHD and alcohol abuse, mm -hmm. okay? But like we've seen that in autism, it's decreased. The same mm -hmm. with what you mentioned in terms of like ring of fire, like that's when the emotional brain, the active scan, it's lit up like, like a Christmas tree. <laughs> so, and, and that's why they're not able to really contain those emotions. Because okay. every area of their brain is active. So it's not yes. just the ring of fire. It's their, it's their temporal lobes where they've got anger, where they manage their anger. Mm -hmm. And then mood, that's mood control as well, isn't it? So the whole yes. of their region of their brain is it is yes. lit up mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we also have the singular that it's connected to those yeah. obsessive thoughts and compulsive behavior that we can also see in autism mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah so and I, do you know i love the fact that surfing is such a powerful tool because i mean we can't all, not not all of us can do surfing so i know mm -hmm. obviously ping pong and tennis is super super helpful for for children who are on the autism mm -hmm. spectrum, but also climbing is a really good one. So in indoor climbing um, mm -hmm. or dance. Um, yes, dancing. Again, dancing, it's really, really good. Martial arts. If you don't want to do something that it's so active, like promote drawing, calligraphy. Um, yeah. Yes. It's but, something that's that requires uh, coordination, basically. A lot yes. of hand-eye coordination, a lot of fine motor skills mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is yeah. really really helpful and i i know we when when we were when we had our wedding we have people in the family who 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 are autistic on the autism spectrum okay. and we had a climbing wall as part of our wedding really that is <laughs> yeah. so awesome mm -hmm. <laughs> and the and the kids loved it because they could go up and i mean it was pouring with rain as it, is, it tends to be in the uk but they just went up and down it and the and and people that you know were on the spectrum just really loved it and really got a huge amount of uh benefit from it and i didn't realize this I at the time like but um like you know mm -hmm. it can be hugely beneficial for for children who who have low activity in in the cerebellum or, or on the autism yeah so yes um, since we're in florida i also recommend that for them too but in puerto rico like the the um, the initiative is called surf for them okay wow so i i really love it i miss that too mm -hmm. i am so rubbish at surfing 
<laughs> it's not something that I ever quite got the hang of. I don't think I ever really stood up on a board and managed to um, uh, surf without going and crashing in the waves. So I, I imagine it, you know, it, it's such a, a physical sport, isn't it? And requires so much mm -hmm. coordin coordination to, to do it properly. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I just think that's brilliant. I'd love to transition now into your fun facts um which is all about the five pillars of brain health which i talk about with my clients <clears throat> and that's remembered by the mnemonic facts where f is for feelings a is for actions C is for connections t is for thoughts and those ants that we have in our head automatic negative thoughts and s is for surrounding so i'm gonna just dive in and ask you some fun facts if you if you're ready so just diving to feelings what is the funniest or most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you Oh wow! <laughs> like, like there are so many things. Like I'm, I'm always in the floor. Um, like I, there was one time, like I was crossing the street, and I was already in med school, and I usually like to have like a lot of books, uh -huh. and I was with my like my robe. Like I was like, of course, I was one of the first years of med school. And I, I don't know, like I tripped and all the books went flying and I fell in the middle of the street. So yeah, everybody saw me. Yeah. But I feel like I have so many fun things that happen like that funny thing. Yeah. But I'm always on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least, at least hopefully you'll be able to get up and uh, dust yourself off and dust your pride off as well at the same time. Yeah. No, no. Again, like I, I, and again, like I'm trying to increase the activity in my cerebellum just because like my coordination, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll have to you have to play ping pong with Dr. Eamon and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Although he is, does apparently is quite an expert. So. And then he likes to neat too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Does he? Mm-hmm. Ah, and that's that another also, brilliant thing to do, actually. Also yes, kneading. It promotes a lot of that activity, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant. I, I haven't done that for years. It's something that I really need to probably mm -hmm. get back to. Um, so I can show my daughter at least how to how to. <laughs> so let's go on to the next one Act on actions. What's the most rewarding or fulfilling thing you've ever done? Um, I, I really like to work with the community. So for me, all the activities that I do with the community are the most rewarding. So here it has been a little bit harder with, with COVID. And when I moved here, um, it was after Hurricane Maria in Puerto oh, okay. Rico. So still getting that part of like being able to work with the community. I, I really miss that because I was able to do that like all the time in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's so such an important piece, isn't it? I know when uh, when COVID hit, we actually, I started a Facebook group with our local community and it's actually brought the community closer together, which is brilliant. But there's that disconnect from the community um, has been so difficult for some yeah. people, isn't it? Especially in terms of that social isolation, mm -hmm. which is such an important factor in the context of um, our optimal brain health. Yeah, I, I, I'm always really resilient, but I feel like with COVID, it was the first time ever that I felt anxious. Wow. First time in my life, I was like, oh my God, like, and even though it's, it was a really hard time at the same time, like it, it made me more empathic with my patients because I was able to feel what they were feeling. I was, oh my God, like, I'm really not able to breathe. And that's such a metaphor like like not being able to breathe in those COVID times. Um, yes. So yes. And have you noticed with kids that they uh, are there's increased social anxiety reconnecting as well? Yeah, I had kids that just by going back to school, they felt better. Mm -hmm. So like being so isolated was really, really hard on like on all of them. Mm. have I, you noticed the opposite for some children yes i was going to tell you that and i also had kids that they performed so well at home just one-on-one 
Um, so yes, we have like all the. And is it? Does it depend on their brain type? Because I, you know, for me, I'm, uh, I'm, I love, I'm, can get super distracted. Questionable whether I have ADD or not. I can get super distracted, and and I absolutely love to have that quiet time. So I've got the opportunity to focus on something, and I know that being in busy offices is really challenging for me. It's nice to have a quiet space to work. Mm-hmm. And do you notice that there's particular types of of children's brain type that so favors socializing? Mm-hmm. So having that low prefrontal cortex activity, like of course it contributes, but having that increased activity in the basal ganglia that is related to the anxiety and to always predicting the worst, also related to that. Um, but <laughs> even with that activity, like still, um, they were really different. Like sometimes I was like, I sometimes I thought that one like kid was gonna be able to work better at the house, and not really. Like they needed that stimulation also. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I certainly noticed, you know, now uh, actually since doing this um, show, um, one of the reasons I chose to do the show because I was super nervous mm-hmm. on connecting with people. Like social connection has never been my big thing. Um, and talking to people I don't know. And I know we, we've we only just connected just before the show. Um, but I noticed since, do, you know, using this medium that I've, going back into social settings and, you know, big events and stuff, I'm completely different to where I was previously by virtue of the fact that I've been able to kind of unchain that social anxiety by mm-hmm by practicing <laughs> by practicing i know i know but for example i am super social but i told you at the beginning of the of the podcast i was like okay i'm a little bit nervous now because <laughs> yes it's just like a first experience but um i remember when because i was working at another clinic before i came to aiming clinics uh-huh. um that when I had my first patient, like back again, after having like the lockdown, I was so anxious. I was like, like, this is like learning again. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So that's the same thing. The same feeling that my, my kids had when they went back to school, like the, my patients. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it's a real adjustment, isn't it? Because we've got to give ourselves grace because mm-hmm. we've never, ever in the history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm had to had had this happen to us exactly. in such an extreme start stop state that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we we've got to be kind to ourselves in yeah, re- and be forgiving and yeah mm-hmm. and re-engaging and and kind to the mental health state that people mm-hmm. are experiencing yeah because and some in- people are have gone you know have had so many things change not just the social disconnection but if we if I like to look at the four quadrants of well-being which is our emotional our physical our mental and our spiritual well-being is they can all get impacted by COVID Mm -hmm. especially in the context of changes of jobs like you mentioned for yourself but some people have lost jobs exactly yeah and I always go back to my island because like we have the hurricane, we have earthquakes, we have the pandemic. So like like those children that went through all that, like that's that's super hard. And like it goes back to the emotional trauma. Yeah. And and you know, I've helped people in Australia with natural disasters which continue to be on the increase. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's really important you mention that because um it's on the rise stateside, isn't it? The the number of fires, the number of hurricanes, and it can be huge. Mm-hmm. Even if you live in the sort of hurricane um, valley, or I've forgotten what it's called, but if you live in that belt where you're, it doesn't make it any easier mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. to deal with with the trauma associated with natural disasters because you don't have any control. Exactly. Yes. O- over what's happening, um, uh, and that's really difficult for for many people, especially children, because they mm-hmm. feed off the emotional environment that they're surrounded by. And if their parents are mm-hmm. 
emotionally traumatized by it they're more likely to experience it themselves too yeah yeah um when when we had the hurricane at puerto rico um of course we didn't have lights and all that mm -hmm. um for a long time and for me it was so hard that i wasn't even able to give milk to my son wow so, and when i see him like he's so resilient like again like if we were strong enough for him like he was able to went like to go through that um but up to this point i was um the only movie that we had it was hotel transylvania that we had uh, in i still remember that that we have in the in the ipad and still when i see that movie i get emotional i'm like oh my god i'm just emotional about but it because it reminds me of yeah. all the things that we went through and like if you see those children like they are so resilient and they were able to overcome that and but we really need to address still those memories and those issues but because they keep accumulating and that's what absolutely. we see this mm -hmm. absolutely and i think also children um like to be resilient because they want to keep their parents happy yeah but... <laughs> and so they can often have this um approach of not talking about it exactly yes. because they don't want to upset their parents who could who may already be emotionally charged state mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you expect i i see this especially in clients or guests who've been on the show who have a, a parent who is who is in has mental health struggles mm -hmm. is that they they bottle it up because they don't want to make the situation worse exactly. mm -hmm. than it already is and then it, mm -hmm. it appears later on in in their life normally exactly. mid-30s early 40s which mm -hmm. is quite possibly why the suicide rate in men is so high yes. um at that at that age and that's why um, exploring for that is so important yeah yeah so important um i'd love to know in terms of connections which is the third pillar but we'll focus on connection to others who is your role model in life i feel like my great grandfather um oh, wow. he was the one that raised me um so like he was that kind of like man that like his morals, his ethics, um, his engagement, engagement with the community, um, like everybody um, like in the communities, like was always like, like God bless you or things like that. Like, like he was like the father in the community that I was wow. like raised. So yes, every time I, I do something, every time I have an accomplishment, I, I know that it's because he gave me that childhood. Oh, that's mm -hmm. lovely. And mm -hmm. I, not, I've never heard somebody say their great grandfather, which is so yeah. beautiful that you're able to have such, he was able to have such a profound effect and he was around for you. <laughs> yeah, like, that's why, like, I, I don't know if that was off camera, like that I told you that I had the best childhood ever. Yeah. And it was because of him. Wow. Um, Yes. What made it what made it so special for you? Because it sounds like it, the, it goes, you know, because you you mentioned that being a child mm -hmm. and bringing that sense of childhood to life is so important. What made it so special for you as a child? What did he do? You know, it was just the simple things like we used to ride bikes together and go to the store and just like he would buy me an icy or we used to recollect um like seeds from flamboyant i don't know if you've seen that tree that it's really bright and orange okay and we used to recollect all the seeds and do bean bags together oh wow so i feel like that's that's what childhood is about like like learning new things like yeah like learning to do things with what you have in the environment like i i love my childhood uh, do you know i think that's so important we can get so distracted can't we by uh social media mm -hmm. the internet youtube you you know kids that that just back to nature and back to simplicities 
kind of become a bit lost for some children Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it's easy you know i'm a parent it's easy for me to just put youtube on or peppa pig or something uh to keep my daughter busy whilst we we need to do stuff ourselves but it Mm -hmm. but then it takes it does take away that nature of them being creative and uh you know just getting on with what you've got Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes Um, I feel like that uh helped me to be a better mom just because like I used to like do like the carver thing down the hill so those things like we don't do them anymore so I've I've tried to do that with my son yeah Mm -hmm. I I you know I think it's such an important piece is to we like to go away in our camper van uh, and, and just take our daughter on adventures uh, and she absolutely loves going on adventures because it gets <laughs> her away from, you know, just TV and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And we, we, you know, get muddy, get sand everywhere. And it does, you know, just doesn't matter. It's just about mm-hmm. allowing mm-hmm. them to have fun. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So let's go on to the fourth pillar. Uh, and I think we're going to run out of time before we get to the end. But for thoughts. What is the stupid, and I know we talk about ants, automatic negative thoughts. What stupid or crazy thought have you often told yourself that isn't true? Um, More like, I don't know if it's like stupid enough, but it's like, I don't know what I want. Uh Sometimes I get that thought. Um... But I try to turn it around with the things that I know that I don't want. Yeah. And that helps me a lot. Yeah. Do you know, I think that's such a great point because sometimes we can be soul searching for stuff that we want, but actually we were already there mm-hmm. and not taking the time to focus on actually, I don't want this. Exactly. That's not and me. You have to always like, like when I met Dr. Amen, he told me, like, one of the things that he always says that does it fit? So does it fit into your life, into your yeah. ethics, into like everything? So for me, it's like, like knowing what I don't want and then <laughs> go from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, so I'd love, I've absolutely loved this discussion. What one piece of advice would you give to anybody who is struggling with the childhood trauma that they've experienced, that they feel kind of every time they show up to a situation or like you say, you get get your iPad out and you listen to something from your past, it triggers you mm-hmm. and you get transported back into that childlike state. What well, one piece of advice would you give to anyone who's struggling with, with childhood trauma? just um, feel comfortable exploring those thoughts. And like, we have a lot of things that we can do. Like we have EMDR, somatic experiencing, the havening, like mm-hmm. all that, like that we are able to like lower that emotional charge from those memories and like be able to work through them better. So like, there's always like a space for change, but we just have to be able to like engage in that. And I think that's so important is get curious mm-hmm. <laughs> with what's going on, not furious with yourselves, as Dr. Raymond likes to say, doesn't he? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, is it be, become an explorer? Exploring, yes, exploring what like really triggers you and yeah. working from there. Like we have a like a starting point and it's just going to get better from there. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Katina, how can people get hold of you? Well, through the Amen Clinics. Okay. And <laughs> and just so the link for the Amen Clinics is uh, will be below in the show notes, um, www.amenclinics.com. And you can find her in the Florida office, which is their new office. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so yes. much for coming on the show today. I really love it. Yes, thank you. Like, I... I was like really worried at the beginning, like, but it wasn't so great. So happy that I did it. Yes. 
<laughs> You're most welcome. Remember, this show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain. You are not stuck with the brain you have. You have power to make it better. And we've had the wonderful Dr. Katina on the, on the show uh, telling us how. Thank you all. This broadcast is brought to you by Winject Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.